Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. This morning, I want to just sort of give a precursor, if I can, to that series that we're starting next week uh, on faith, faith versus fear. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about victorious living, because anytime you talk about the faith life, anytime, uh, and it's not a movement, it's not a wave, but anytime you talk about uh, walking and moving by faith, speaking faith, we need to, we can't just um, have uh, one area, you know, that we just think everything is magic and God is, God is magic. Okay. It's not that way. There's some, there's some, there's some ground that we need to plow this morning. Amen. Just for a few moments. And so I want to talk about, as you already see there, seven things that derail victorious living. I want to, I want to plow the ground a little bit this morning in preparation for us in our new series next week. Seven things I think that derail uh, victorious living. God, Jesus said that the enemy comes not, but to what? Steal, Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you, what? May have life and that more abundantly. He's not just talking. He's not just talking when he said that. He meant what he said. He came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And very often things happen in our life. You know, there's things that come against us. There's a bad diagnosis. There's people who talk about us. We get offended. Uh, there's things that happen at work. There's all these things uh, that, that we seem to think derail us from living a victorious life. But I want to talk to you this morning again briefly about things that we do to ourselves that derail victorious living. Things that we do to ourselves that derail victorious living. Because how many know that, listen, no one can stop you. No one can stop you if you live the life that God laid out for you. Doesn't mean it'll be an easy life. It doesn't mean that there won't be things that come against you. Doesn't mean you won't have setbacks and even failures. Of course, we need those things. We learn by failure. Listen, pain has a purpose. Come on. Pain has a purpose. Dietrich and I were talking this morning about that. There, there is, you know, we want to live a life that's pain free. But listen, if you never had pain, you don't, you wouldn't know when your foot was hurt. You wouldn't know when you need to take it easy or uh, when something needs to, to mend because you were out playing softball and you twisted your ankle, right? Pain has a purpose. And so, yes, it, we do live a life where sometimes there is some pain, but Jesus made it so that we can overcome every time. He didn't say there won't be a storm. He just said that you'll be able to walk through the storm. You'll be able to walk on water through the storm. Amen. Peter found that out. And so if we want to live that victorious life, we've got to stop doing things that, uh, that derail our own victorious living. And I think there's a popular misconception among those that uh, become Christians that as soon as I become a Christian, everything is all right. Life is beautiful. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bowl of cherries and, uh, you know, now the devil uh, won't, won't bother me anymore. Actually, we need to understand that once you accept Christ, he's really after you now because he knows that you're blessed. 
He knows you're living a blessed life. And so he's after you. He's after you. And so we allow that to uh, discourage us and we fall into a pit of defeat sometimes uh, simply because we thought one thing and now life is something different. It's not the way that we thought it was going to be. But we do things to ourselves that, that hinder our victorious living. So if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Timothy. We'll be there in just a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And you'll, you'll see that, um, you know, there, there are things that we do that actually cause our faith uh, to be shipwrecked, to be hijacked. There are things that we do. And, and, and Paul tells Timothy this. He's given Timothy a charge here in 1 Timothy, and he tells him this. Look at what he says down in verse 18 of chapter 1, 1 Timothy. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, okay, that by them you may wage the good warfare. How many know we're in a warfare? I'm not, I'm not sitting up here telling you this morning that you're not in a war. You are. You are in a spiritual war. Your war is not against flesh and blood. Come on, I know you want to bop that person upside the head that's talking about you or not doing what you think they should do. But our, 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 our war is not, our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? It's fought, it's, it's powers and principalities. And it's fought in the heavenlies. For us, it's fought on our knees, as it were. It's fought in prayer, right? And Paul says that by them... Uh, you may wage the good warfare, having what? Faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Having a good conscience is a, is a message all on its own. Having a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have what? Suffered shipwreck. There, we can come to a place where our faith suffers shipwreck and God does not want us to live in a mode where our faith is constantly suffering shipwreck and when it does we want to blame other people we want to blame the man we want to blame the system we want to blame family we want to blame our spouse we want to blame the bank we want to blame our boss there's so many things to blame but sometimes there's a mirror that we need to go to and look there and say this is where the most of the blame will lie not saying other people don't do things. Of course, people come against you. People trip you up. People build walls. All of those things happen. But listen, if God be for you, then who can be against you? Who can be against you? You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are a victor, not a victim. And we have to understand that in our mind. Otherwise, we'll let everything and everyone trip us up, including ourselves. Including ourselves. And many Christians have accepted a perspective of defeat over victory. And the truth is, God wants us to walk not just in victory, but in overwhelming victory. You got to understand that God never loses. He, he's never lost a fight. And if God is in you, he wants us to be victorious as well. He wants us to be victorious. And so just let me throw these seven things at you. And most of them you already know, but I think somebody needs to be reminded this morning of these things that we do. All right. First thing is you, you believe the lies of the enemy. We believe it. We know we're going to hear lies. 
We know we're going to hear lies because the enemy, your enemy, is the father of lies. Come on, it's what he does best. And we have to understand that the goal of the enemy, as we said, is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do by any means necessary. Sometimes the killing and stealing aspects of his nature are not just physical, they're mental as well. We begin to mull over things that the enemy tells us, that, that the enemy puts in our mind, those seeds. It's up to us whether the seed of the enemy lands on fertile ground in our mind and we begin to water it, come on, and we begin to uh, allow it to grow in our mind or if we reject that thing. If we say, no, I'm not going to accept what the enemy is telling me, I'm going to believe the word of God. The enemy will tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not an overcomer, that you're not qualified, that you're not valuable, that, listen, you're too old to do it. You're too young to know anything. I was teaching school. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I was talking to the students, and we had some time at the end of class. And I, so I asked the students, I said, listen, uh, since we have some time at the end of class, let me ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, these high school students. I said, just say, for example, I was the representative for my generation, which I am not. But just, for example, if, if I were. And you knew that what you told me would, uh, would absolutely not land on deaf ears, but it would affect change in my generation. What is it that you would want my generation to know? What, what misconceptions do, you do we have of you? What is it that you would tell us, especially if you knew it wouldn't fall on deaf ears? What, what, would, you, what would you tell us? What, 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 what is it that you would say? And Every student, they had a few different things to say, but every one of them, one of the things they said was, listen, just because we're young doesn't mean we don't know anything at all. You know, we want you to value what we say. Even when we're wrong, allow us to at least say it. You know, and we, we know we're not right. This is what they were telling me. We know we're not right every time. But just because, you, but a lot of times they, they say what older people do is just because of your age, just simply because you're 16 means you don't know what you're talking about. That's the way they feel, right? And so, uh, th so that's what they said. I said, oh, well, that, that's very good. That's very good. And they said, well, what would you, uh, you know, Mr. Carter, what, what would you want us to know? And I said, well, just because we're old doesn't mean that we forgot everything. We have, we have something to tell you as well. And so, I, you know, I just think these are some of the lies, though, that the enemy tells us as Christians. You know, because you're young, you know nothing. You have no value. But listen, uh, Paul charged Timothy when he was very young. Now, he had a lot of things to learn. We know that. Uh, but Paul charged him when he was very young. And listen, just because you're old, don't believe the lies of the enemy. You're still walking this earth, so there's still something for you to do. You still have purpose, but we allow the enemy to get into our mind and we begin to maul over these things that the enemy tells us. And I've learned that the enemy gets a kick out of offering you suggestions that will cause you to believe that you are unworthy and unqualified and unloved. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it reminds us that we're not, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We're not ignorant of the way that he does things. Come on. Instead, we must be vigilant. Because 1 Peter 5 tells us that your enemy is vigilant, walking the earth like a roaring lion. So you must also be vigilant. We must renew our minds, folks. 
We must speak God's word over our lives. I know you've quoted it. I know you know it. I know you've heard it. But you, you have to remind yourself of Romans 12, chapter 2. Listen, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world shape you into what it wants you to be. But be ye transformed. That means from the inside out, a metamorphosis, this word of God, allow it to get down in you and change you from the inside out. Come on, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We cannot accept these lies of the enemy. Here's a clue. If, 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 if you have a thought that belittles you, that depresses you, that speaks condemnation over you, it's not God. God, even in his correction, and God will correct. God is a father who will correct. Make no mistake about it. I know we, sometimes we have this grace message and this love message, and it, it excludes the correction of God. No, God corrects. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a love message if he didn't. Come on. And so he corrects, but even in his correction, he builds you up. Even in his correction, he speaks love. Even in his correction, he speaks victory, hope, and peace to you. Because his want for you is to be an overcomer. That's where he wants you to be. The enemy will speak some of those same things, those same words to you, but it's meant to condemn you and pull you down. If it's something that's pulling you down or pushing you down, it's not from God. It's not from God. So we cannot believe the lies of the enemy. And then the second thing is, I know we're talking about faith next week, but you're not exercising your faith. Here's what I mean by that. You might say, well, Brother Mike, you know, I have faith. I believe, you know, the doctor told me this thing and I believe and I'll speak it. But there's a big difference in, in, having, in saying something or thinking about something and exercising. I can think about going to the gym all day long, but it doesn't do me any good. Come on, if I don't go there and actually exercise. You've got to exercise your faith. You have to, with your speech, there has to be corresponding action to go along with it. Come on, that's exercising your faith. It's time for us as Christians to stop just talking about how much we love God and actually love him. Come on, when the rubber meets the road and Jesus, uh, he, has, he spent as much time concerned about the faith of his disciples that he did anything else. Though they had witnesses, blind eyes were being opened, lame men were walking, people were being healed, even at a time when the disciples feared for their lives in a storm over in Luke 8. They wanted to wake Jesus up. Jesus, we're going to perish. That's what they said to this man. After he had healed people, after he had performed miracles, walked on water, he had done all these things, the very next storm they're in, he's sleeping. They wake him up. We're going to die. He said, Why, how is it that you have no faith? Where is your faith? We're not exercising our faith. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. Come on. Remember what Jesus told her. She fought her way. You know it. You know it. You've ministered it. You've read it. You've heard it. You know it. She fought her way through the crowd just to get to, uh, to his garment, to touch the, the end of his robe. And what did Jesus say to her? He said, daughter. Uh, he didn't say, daughter, I made you whole. Daughter, it's a sunny day, so it's a good day for you to be healed. He said, daughter, your faith, your faith, your faith has made you whole. We have to exercise. Our faith is not just a buzzword, folks. Not just a buzzword that Jesus uses. It was needed to enact blessings, and it still is. 
It's we choose to have faith in God and we also choose not to have faith in God and his promises. You must exercise your faith. Exercise it. Live it out. You have to live faith. Don't just talk it. Don't just talk it. Come on, at some point you have to live your faith. All right. Number three is you might be a person, maybe you're not this way, but you, you, you may be a person that has too many toxic influences in your life. Come on. Negative influences. They create a breeding ground for unsuccess. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes it's people. Come on. I'm not telling you to, 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 to just get rid of everyone in your life. Uh, but what I'm telling you is sometimes, listen, you can be around people that just always speak negative. They're always telling dirty jokes. They're always, everything about them is just a negative thing. Come on, you ever been around people like that? Don't call no names. Come on. But, you know, it's been said that we are the average of the time that we spend with others. We're the average of the time that we spend with others, okay? In other words, you show me your friends and I can tell you a little bit something about your character. Come on. Come on. It, it's true. It's true. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that what? Bad company, come on, corrupts character. Bad company corrupts character. It also says in Proverbs 13, 20 that when we are friends with fools, we can expect harm. That, the Bible says that. Come on. Listen, sometimes we want things to be so spiritual. And listen, I know, you know, the way I, that I talked, uh, you know, on, in the series about the Holy Spirit, you know, some of you, you might think, well, is the, is the pastor spiritual at all? I mean, is he spirit? I am. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God is a spirit, okay? We are spirits. If you've been renewed, listen, the spirit, the real you has been awakened. We are spirits. We have a body and we have souls, okay? But we are spirits. So I absolutely believe, and, our, and listen, the, the battle is done in the spirit realm. It is done in the heavenlies. But listen, can I just tell you something this morning? Sometimes we want to be so spiritual. We want to go to God and have him heal us. We want to go to God and have him make the situation right when we cause the situation to be the way it is in the first place. God didn't tell you to eat a whole bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and drink four gallons of Coke, and now you're complaining about inflammation that's in your ankles because of that and asking God to heal you. God miraculously healed me. And he's telling you, stop eating four buckets of chicken and drinking five gallons of Coke. Come on. We, we hijack ourselves sometimes. And we want to be so spiritual, God from the heavenlies. And we want to talk in all these other tongues. And we want to use our, our spiritual language, even our English vernacular. Lord, thou must cometh and changeth this which beeth in my lifeeth. And we want to do all these things. And God's saying, listen, you can change it yourself. Eat a salad. Eat some cucumber. Have a few grapes. Come on. And drink water. People around you can absolutely corrupt you. Think about some of the people in your life. Do they speak hope to you? Do they draw you back to Christ? Because uh, many of us often, um, and oftentimes, uh, there are things that discourage us. There are things that sometimes bring us down. And that's what, that's what we're here for. We're here for each other. Do your friends build you up? I, I know that my friends, if, if, I, if I'm feeling real down and I go to Eldon, he might say, yeah, you know, Pastor Mike, that's too bad. But guess what? You're an overcomer. You can do this. God's going to bless you. I know what he's going to say. 
Come on. Do your friends build you up? Or do they infiltrate you with fear and doubt when you want to step into something that God is calling you to? Do they say, ah, oh, I don't know about that. You, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even try that if I was you. Come on, look at you. Look how small you are. You didn't even graduate college. Is that how your friends are talking to you? They can be a bad influence. True godly friends will be those who uplift you. Come on. I'm not telling you they'll lie to you. They'll tell you the truth. But they'll uplift you with the word of God. They'll add to your life, not those ones who constantly cause emotional damage. Too many toxic influences. I could name 10 toxic influences right now, starting with television. Come on. I'm the first one that knows it. I mean, there's some programs I start getting into and, you know, I want to find out what happened and who killed the person and what. Next thing I know that, you know, so much cursing and killing and blood that, you know, I, my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord have mercy, I don't want to go to bed now. I'm going to have nightmares. Too many toxic influences in our lives. Number four, this is a big one. You have unforgiveness in your heart. And sometimes, again, these are things that you know. You know these things. But sometimes there's unforgiveness in our heart and we don't realize it. Because we said with our mouth, I forgive you. But I'm talking about in your heart. Harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Every time you see that person, are you reminded of that situation? And then when you're reminded of that situation of what they said or what they did to you, then do you maul it over in your mind and keep it going and keep it going, keep it going and keep it going? Come on, you might just have unforgiveness in your heart. You might have a root of bitterness there that you have not dealt with yet. And it causes us to be overwhelmed by the wrongdoing of someone else. That's all it does. And there are times when people hurt us so bad that we have no idea how we can ever move forward. How am I going to get over this? I mean, that was crazy what that person said to me or how they treated me, what they did. However, listen, when we walk in bitterness, folks, we tend to constantly think about that one who has hurt us. And that's where our mind is. And guess what? That's where your enemy wants your mind to be. Why don't you think about that thing that that person did to you? Yeah, I, I know this is a sunny day outside and everything's going well at work. But remember when so-and-so said that to you? Think about that for a moment. That's what the enemy wants you to do. That's what the enemy wants you to do. We can't harbor unforgiveness. It can be consuming to rehearse their sin toward us in our mind. It can consume us. We don't want to do that. I mean, truthfully, how can we serve God? How can we ever be passionate about serving God and, and passionate about what God wants to do in our life if we are steadily focused on this situation and what that person did to you? I'm not telling you again that it's easy to do. I'm not saying, oh, just get over it. No, I'm not saying that. But listen, with the word of God, we can. With the word of God, we can. Are you spending time with God? I mean, biblically, God takes unforgiveness with as much severity as, uh, as he does everything else. In Matthew 6, 15, he talks about it as one who has forgiven for the unthinkable in us. Come on, he's done that. He asks us to do the same. God says, and Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, he said, listen, if you, if you forgive someone else, God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. It's just that simple. So I was going to say something real deep, didn't you? You remember Matthew 6, 15. Come on. Real simple. You forgive someone else, God's going to forgive you. You don't forgive them, he's not going to forgive you. Look at all the stuff God left out of that equation. 
He didn't say, well, you know, uh, listen, if you forgive someone else, I mean, as long as they didn't steal more than $2,000 from you. I mean, then that, we're talking about something different. You know, as long as they didn't talk about you for three days in a row, or as long as they didn't cause you to lose your job, then you can forgive them. But I mean, that, those things, I mean, that's something different. No, he didn't say that. He just stopped right there. You forgive others, I'll forgive you. You don't forgive others, I'm not forgiving you. That's what it says, Matthew 6, 15. Look it up. That's what he said. And he forgave us for the unthinkable. In fact, he forgave us before we asked for forgiveness, honestly. I mean, he died on the cross. He provided the way. We still have to ask, but he provided the way. He died on the cross before we knew that we needed forgiveness. He died on the cross for us while you were still in your sin, while you were yet in sin. Come on. Number five is you're not walking in integrity. Now, let me just explain to you something about integrity. Because you might say, no, 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 I don't, you know, Brother Mike, I'm, I'm a good person. I have integrity, and I believe you do. I believe you do have integrity. But what I'm talking about here with integrity, you know what integrity really, really is? I mean, it's easy for me, as Pastor Mike, to uh, do something good while you're watching. And, and you guys will go, oh, you know, Pastor Mike, he's just a, a great guy. You know, he's so anointed because I saw that thing that he did. But you know what? True integrity cannot be revealed to others. Here, here's, what, here's what I'm saying. I, really, you don't know if I have true integrity, the integrity that I'm talking about here. And I will never know if you really have it. It's only between you and God. Here's why. Here's why I say that, Brother Ted. Here's why I say it. Because the integrity that I'm talking about is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. So nobody will ever know. I'm talking about doing, when nobody's around, there's no way that anybody would ever suspect what's going on right here, right now. Nobody's looking. There's no cameras. There's no drones. There's no eye in the sky. I don't even have my phone on me. I left it in the car. Nobody knows what I'm about to do. And you still do the right thing. With conscience toward God, you do the right thing. That's integrity. That's what God is looking for. That can hinder you from a victorious life. And no one else will ever know. Only you know and God knows. Come on. James 4.17 talks about sin is sin. James 4.17 talks about, listen, if you know to do right and you don't do it, guess what? It's sin. That's what James said. I don't know if you agree with James or not, but it's in the Bible. And then last I checked, the Bible is inspired <laughs> By the Holy Spirit, it's the inspired word of God. So God said, if you know to do right and you don't do it, it's sin. When no one is looking. You know, you've been praying for a promotion, yet you're always late to work. It's not walking in integrity. It's not walking in integrity. Come on. Take an extra 30 minutes for your lunch break. I mean, should you be promoted? You feel like you do. I mean, you know the most. You've been there the longest. You are the best person for the job. I, I know when I was, had the, the great opportunity to be a manager in corporate America, and I managed about uh, 28, 29, um, you know, technicians. Uh, you know, one of the things that I would do when I had a certain position for somebody to be promoted to, uh, I, you know, first of all, I would look to say, who's the best for the job? Because we really need to get this done, and I need the best person in that position. But if that person was late to work every day or they were always complaining, always in my office, I had a guy who was always in my office complaining about everything. I had to tell him, get out. 
go sit down, work it out. <laughs> I mean, you ever got to that point where it's just like, I, when Susie comes in, I don't even want to hear it. Just go back to your seat. <laughs> That's how much he complained. But he was smart. He was bright. He had been there for 28 years. He knew. He'd done the same job for 28 years. This, this person knew what he was doing. But when it came time to promote, I promoted somebody else who wouldn't give me as much lip. They didn't know quite as much, but they were willing to learn, and they got the job done. And in fact, he ended up getting fired because he was late. 28, can you imagine that? 28 years of service. Not walking in integrity, folks. God wants people to walk in. He doesn't care how much you know. Yeah, we should know. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed. Absolutely. We should know as much as we can. But God, you think God cares about how much you know? He's looking for people that will walk in integrity. Walk in integrity. And then number six, we're almost there. Number six, some of us, you're trapped in the past. These are things that derail your victory, guys. This is what I'm talking about. You're trapped in the past. If you carry a heavy sense of guilt and shame over your past mistakes, it's likely that you're walking in a perspective of defeat, right? Our past often convinces us that we have unqualified ourselves for success. We, we, we think about the times where we miss the mark. You know, we dwell on those times when we were hurt or we hurt someone. And we assume, how could God possibly bless me? You, you don't know what I've done. These things are in the past. <laughs> when we get in these modes of thought, we must remind ourselves that our past mistakes are opportunities for growth. There is a reason for pain in our life. Remember, the enemy wants to convince us that we are unworthy. That's what he wants. No chance for recovery. However, can we please remember that Moses was a murderer? that David was a murderer and an adulterer. Can we please remember that Rahab was a prostitute? Yet in the, even in the midst of all of these past mistakes, Abraham lied, lied about his wife. Come on, even in the midst of all of these past mistakes, Jonah ran the other way in the face of God. God said, go that way. He said, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. And God was looking at him. I'm not doing it. He just flat out told him, no, I'm not doing it. Peter denied Christ. Come on. Even in the midst of all of these past mistakes, God would use them in amazing ways. Amazing ways. Our past will never disqualify us for God's best in our lives if we're willing to turn. That's what repent means. It means to turn, turn toward God. It does mean to turn away from something, but really what repent means, turn toward God. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know how to ask for forgiveness for this. But he just wants you to turn toward him. All he wants you to do is come to yourself. Get up out of the pig's pen and look toward him. That's all he wants. He'll do the rest. If you'll take the first step, he'll do it. He'll bring you in. So your past will never disqualify you. And finally, you don't have, you don't have an intimate relationship with God. This is probably, I should have started with this one. This is probably the biggest one. Because... Listen, when you said yes to being a Christian, it was not merely an invitation to a religion. I, I, almost, I almost hate it sometimes when people call Christianity a religion. And I, I'm not, you know, listen, whatever, I, I get it, you know, if, if you want to call it that, it is. But if you just, have you read the Bible? Because if you look at when Jesus came to earth and who he yelled at, they were the religious ones. He came to destroy that kind of religion. 
And he came to, to, to show that you need to have relationship. Relationship over religion wins every time with God. When you say yes to Christ, it's an open door for a life-changing experience, a life-changing relationship, not just an experience. God desires to spend time with you and have fellowship with you. Listen, we can talk about, we're going into this series talking about the showdown between faith and fear. We can talk about faith, we can talk about fear, we can talk about deliverance, we can talk about conquering and overcoming, we can talk about grace, we can talk about all of these things and all of these elements that make up Christianity, but I cannot please tell you that what it all boils down to is a relationship with God. Seek ye first, first, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Yes, victorious living, but God is saying first, first, first. You ever, you ever have one of your kids come to you and they're, you know, they're, they're so excited something's going wrong or something went wrong at school and, and, and you know, and they, they, wanted, they just start talking and, you know, this happened to so-and-so and this happened. You say, hey, hey, hang on a second, hang on a second, hang on a second. First, uh, take off your shoes, take off your coat, and let's sit down. Now we can talk. I think that's what God does to us sometimes. We come with all this stuff, Lord bless and pray and heal and do. He said, hey, hold on a second. First of all, Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. All right. I know it's important. I know what you're telling me is important. I mean, I'm the God of the universe, but I, I get that what you're saying is important. It is. But first, take off your shoes. Take off your coat. Sit down. Now, what's the problem? <laughs> Come on. He's your, he's your heavenly and cosmic therapist. That's what God is. He's ready to listen, but he just wants you to come in, calm down, and tell him what's going on. He already knows it. He wants a relationship with us, folks. That's what he wants more than anything else in the whole world. He doesn't have any problem healing you. He has no problem causing you to overcome. You got financial problems? Listen, I've had financial problems. Don't tell me about financial problems. <laughs> Listen, a lot of us have had some financial problems, all right? You got financial problems? You're not the only one in the world to have some financial problems. You're not the only one in the world who uh, the bill is coming or the thing is due or we need the roof and it's so much money and I don't know where the money's coming from. And da, 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 da. Yes, yes, yes. We know all of those things. And God is saying, I made the roof. I made the money. I made the earth. I don't worry about it. If you, but first of all, I just want you to come to me. Come to me. Okay. God wants an intimate relationship with him. You have questions, it is in his presence that you will find the answers. This is the God that we serve. He is the one who wants to reach you and you want, he wants you to reach your fullest potential. And he has no intention of seeing you completely broken down in the process. Will he break you? Yes, he will, but he does that to get those things that are not like him out of your life. Things that you don't need anyway. You thought you needed them, but you don't. But he, he has no desire to see you hurt and depressed and all of those things. None. The truth is, if you've been struggling with defeat, it is in his presence that you will find all of your answer. And my prayer for you here today is that you find hope and restoration and victory in Jesus. You find all of those things in Jesus. Amen.